All right, welcome to another edition of the Hardwood Huddle. My name is Randy Zell at sportspage.com, and we have the king of the turkey. He is ready for Thanksgiving. My co-host, as always, Mr. Bill Ingram, and special guest today, Derek Stafford. Derek, first off, thank you for giving us a few minutes of your time today. Hey, thanks for having me. You're more than welcome. Randy, are you frozen? Randy Zelia. I'm here. Okay, you were frozen for a second. Like a, frozen like a turkey. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, I froze like a turkey there for a second. I apologize. So, um, Derek, thanks ahead. for giving us a few minutes of your time. We really appreciate it. You're welcome. All right, Can you so hear me? Let's talk Can you about hear me okay? it. Derek, you've had a lot of. Yeah, I can hear you. Can can you hear us okay? Everything's good? Yes. Yes. Randy, you just you kind of freeze. Thank God we're pre-taping. Yeah. <laughs> I apologize for that. It's, it's it is cold here in New Jersey. Um so um so I, I gotta I gotta ask um Derek, from your perspective, from a, the amount of time that you've worked in the NBA, what is your general feeling about the way the league is right now? Wow, that's that's a question that I get asked often, and it's tough. It depends on what perspective you're looking at it from. In terms of from a fan's perspective, I think the game is probably more exciting because people enjoy scoring. Uh, I think your hardcore basketball person probably would rather see teams not like each other as much and play hardcore defense and be a little more physical. So it just depends on uh, your take of the sport and what you like. Like a good football game for me is three nothing, seven nothing. For the other other person that likes scoring, you know, 42-41 would probably be a great game for them. So it depends on what specifically you like or don't like about the game right now. What question you may have that I can probably zoom in on. Oh, Bill knows where I want to go. <laughs> okay. I want I want to say first of all that uh Randy and I both come from the 80s and 90s school of NBA where defense, if you weren't bleeding, you weren't playing hard enough. My my team, I'm from Houston. So the finals where the Knicks and Rockets were just in a, you know, knockdown, drag out front, you know, the, the league where you didn't come in the paint uh, right. unless you wanted to get knocked down. Uh, I miss. I think, I think we're having basket difficulties. Hard earned uh, scoring and. The, the kinder, gentler version we have now, and I agree with you, it, kids and, and fans now, there's a lot of scoring, and that's wonderful for them. But for me, it's like, what happened? To, do we not play defense anymore? Why, why are we doing this? Um, and it's got to be harder from an officiated point of view because how tough, how many things are really fouls now? So many things are not even, you're not even allowed to play defense in certain situations. So, well, actually, actually, from an official's perspective, it's a little bit easier because the game is not as physical. It's more open. It's freedom of movement. Guys are not chucking guys coming through the lane. You know, the rebounding is a little bit cleaner. Uh, guys are figuring out a ways ways to come off of screens and, and not foul anymore. So from an official standpoint, it's a little bit easier. It was tougher when you had low post games, when you had post-up players, when you had pick guys growing through the paint, getting hit. When guys went to the hole, everybody went to the floor. So the game was actually tougher then to, to officiate than it is now. 
So when you look at that, uh, let's talk about the latest incident. Uh, LeBron James with the, the elbow check uh, in, against Detroit the other night, and we see this ongoing episode. What are your thoughts about that? I, it looked looked like they were just holding him out of the lane, but then it all of a sudden turns into something ugly. Uh, I think the more he bled, I think the more he sort of lost control, unfortunately. Uh, we, we can't have that in the game in any shape, form, or fashion. I think what LeBron did, he's not known as a dirty player. I mean, I've known him no, as a little, little, little bit of a sneaky player sometimes, but uh, <laughs> never dirty. Uh, that particular play was something out of frustration. I don't know what it came from, but unfortunately it was a blow that – that was delivered that caused uh, an injury and he's got to realize he's in the NBA. You, you can't, you just can't act like that. You got to control yourself. Hey, if you're going to, if you're going to go after me, throw a punch, you better do it quick. And then once it's over, it's over and you got to let it go. You can't be chasing people in the tunnel and trying to go in the locker room. I mean, this is professional sports and you, you have to carry yourself in a certain way, regardless. If that had been the YMCA, it might've been a different story. Somebody would have had to call the cops probably, but, uh, in the NBA, you just you just can't take it to that level, and and you got unfortunately, I know for some people they don't want to let it go, but you just you just got to let it go and get over it. In the old days, it would have been payback at some point, but but now you just kind of you kind of kind of take your shot when you can, or you just got to let it go. That's well, that's what I used to do at the YMCA. I used to you know chase people down in the locker room, and and then they, then then they realized I wasn't even a member of the YMCA, and they just kicked me out. Um, with that <laughs> with with that being said, though, Derek, can you talk? Uh, I guess the mentality of being an official in the NBA, um, basically how you guys prepare for a game, the conversations you have with the other officials on how you approach going into any, any type of game. doesn't matter if it's New York, Indiana, what's the, what's the mindset and how do you guys approach it? Well, fortunately for us as pros, we, we stay aware of everything just like everybody else. Uh, we know the teams that, that don't particularly like each other. We know the rivalries. We know the matchups. We know a, a player that was traded from one team to the next and uh, what that situation might be like playing against his former teammates. Like tonight, you have in Minnesota, Minnesota going against Miami, so you got Butler in, in that situation. So it'll be a little more tense than a normal game. And as an official, you know that type of stuff. So you know your matchups, uh, you know your teams that have matchup problems. Uh, for an example, we could take a guy like LeBron. Who are they going to put on him? Who can guard him? What are they going to do when he posts up? Things like that we can talk about to prepare us for the game uh, other than just doing our basic stuff. I mean, we know, the, we know our rotations, how we're going to rotate. We know that we need to make eye contact on certain plays. Those things are, are easy for us to do. But what the advantage that we have is you guys talk about sports. And so we know from listening to people, reading things, we kind of know what's going on. And that helps us to prepare for a particular game. Even a coach being on the hot seat, you got to be a little more sensitive to that because he's probably going to be a little more reactive than he normally would be. So as a pro, these are the things that we try to use to our advantage. I, I will tell you back when I used to coach high school ball, I remember one time my team was getting blown out. I picked up a technical foul and I, I the referee looked at me because I kept on yelling at him. He goes, I'm not going to give you that second tech. If I have to watch your, your team play like this, you do too. So right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I have to ask from when you started uh, officiating in the NBA to where we're in now, do you think the quality of the game has 
deteriorated a little bit, or do you think it's adjusted to uh, highlight ball? I, I, Bill and I like to call it highlight ball, pretty much. I think we have a lot. I think the talent is is just as good. I mean, we have some very very talented and, and skilled players. And they've adjusted, particularly our big guys, they've adjusted to the way the league is now. You have 6'8", six, 6'9", six, 6'10", six, guys that can bring the ball up the floor, that are shooting threes. Unfortunately, what makes the game not what it should be is because everybody tried to copy Golden State, not understanding that Golden State probably had three of the best three-point shooters of all time on the same team at the same time. So – that's where they kind of lost their mark. So now you see teams, everybody's shooting these threes instead of going to the basket because they're going by the analytics. If you make one out of three threes, that's better than making one out of three twos. So, yeah, but it makes the game sloppy. And then you have so many guys that can't shoot that are forced to shoot and trying to shoot. You take a guy like Ben Simmons, a great basketball player who they put so much emphasis on him shooting and shooting from the outside. If, I, I can't imagine what Magic Johnson would have been like if they had done the same thing to him. Even though Magic, I think, has a little different personality, uh, Ben Simmons obviously just couldn't couldn't take the fact that he couldn't shoot the way people wanted him to shoot, and it just started to affect his game, to it affected his free throws, to it affected his confidence, to where he is today. And I think that's where coaches are make we're a copycat league, just like football. So now everybody feels like they got to shoot three pointers in order to win. And I think it hurts more than it helps. The trickle down effect is all the way down to high school and middle school teams that I've yep. I've spoken with. The coaches all tell me the same thing. Now everybody wants to be Steph Curry. The problem is there's only one Steph Curry, and that's Steph Curry. And you know, exactly. pulling up from three feet behind the free the three the three point arc, Steph makes it look easy, but they're not Steph's taking a thousand shots a day to hit that shot. Whereas exactly. the guy trying to be Steph don't want to put in the work that you've got to do. Um, you know, we saw Spider Mitchell, as an example, spent so much time over the summer working on longer range three-point shots so that when he was open, he could do that. He's going to put in the work. But a lot of the guys that want to be the shooter don't want to do the thousand shots a day or however many, you know, Steph's taking an ungodly number of shots every day just to be able to hit those. And yeah. I think the Ben Simmons situation is one, if it were me as a coach or as a general manager, you have to look at who he is and you have to build around him. If you need shooters, great. Add shooters. Um, right. Don't expect him to be one of them. I mean, you know, like, yeah, that make you a shooter. That's <laughs> yeah, true. It's true. Yeah, you're taking a guy that most people consider the number one defensive player in the league, if not in the top three. And and now you want to also be a three-point shooter. I mean, I'm not a coach. I'm not a general manager. But if it doesn't come natural for him, just take advantage of what he can do. And I and, and, and now you see what it's led to. You have one of the best players in the league not even playing. Yeah. And now you're going to have to give him up for some bargain. You know, at some point, you're going to have to cash him in for whatever right. you get. And it's not going to be an all-star first defensive team. It's not going to be what you have already. Exactly. And some of the some of the choices teams make, I just, right. like, but but Derek, from your experience, you know, working in the NBA, and you know, you have, you have quite the resume. Uh, Bill and I are those types of guys where we love the '90s and the early 2000s of, of of the NBA, where you know the college 
college is more of a preparation for the NBA than it is now. Obviously, now it's it's college as an afterthought. If you're in the if you're in the college system for more than two to three seasons, uh, the people people look at you like there's something wrong with you because if you were that talented and had that much potential, you would have came out after your freshman year. So my question to you is, from your days of uh, being in the league, do you think that the NBA would sort of benefit from sort of raising that age limit up a little bit more to have more seasoned players coming out of college? Uh, I would totally agree from a perspective that they would be much more mature and prepared. Uh, they just really don't understand what it's like that first year. And I think for a lot of guys, it's a shock. I mean, not just the travel, but you're playing 82 games compared to when you've played 20, 25, 30 max. Uh, you're practicing every day. You're working out every day. It's, it's it's tough on the body. And I think guys would be much better if they came in a little bit later. But I also understand the injury factor. You know, people are worried about getting hurt and maybe missing out on a golden opportunity. So I get that as well. And the other part of it is if you think about the college game, the college game is really about the coaches. The coaches are about making a name for themselves. The program is built around them. So they don't really take advantage. You may have one or two kids on your team that can actually play at the next level. So are you going to work hard to develop those two kids? or Are you going to work hard to try to win? And I think the answer is pretty easy. I think most coaches are going to try to win. So that kid will, will try to fit into that system. And we don't even know what type of player he is. And that's why they really come out early because they realize they have more talent and people around them help them to understand that they actually have more talent than what they're actually showing. So it, in the end, it, it doesn't really help them to stay. because. And I say that just because of the coaches and the way they have their system designed in order for the, the team to win, which is great. It's college basketball. You, of course, you want to win the conference. You want to win a national championship. But there are one or two kids on that team and, and we can go back through time and see where it's happened, where kids that were on the bench ended up getting drafted higher than the kids that were starting. Yeah. And, and you know, I go back to Bill, Bill loves when I bring this stat up. The last senior take in the NBA draft was back in 2006, the top five. The top wow. five senior was picked number five in the 2006 draft. That was the last time a senior was wow. taken. And now this year you have Jalen Green – I'm from Houston. I grew up Rockets and got to know Akeem really well and, and Clyde. But um, Jalen Green gets drafted number two, says, I should have been number one and I'm going to be rookie of the year and I'm ready for the NBA because I spent a year in the G League. And you're going, uh, the G League is not the NBA. Right. <laughs> I'm right. not sure if you were better off in the G League than you were in college, but the NBA is handing him his papers. I mean, the first, what are we, six weeks into the season, he, there have only been one or two games where he even looks like he knows. Belongs in it. <laughs> well, yeah, it's tough to see a 19-year-old kid, and especially a team with multiple 19-year-olds. It's a bad product to watch. And Steven Silas, I mean, is he going to be around three or four years from now when these guys actually become? Probably you know, not. Me? Probably uh, not. Survive that? Does a GM survive it? You know, and in the NBA, three to four years is a lifetime. So I, that's the whole thing. We we go back and forth, and different people have different opinions. Nancy Lieberman gave us the clear of I got to get it when I can get it, and I understand that. 
but from someone who's watching the game from the perspective of quality of play, man, it's 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 a beating to watch like the Rockets play right now. Yeah, and yeah, I would, if somebody asked me my recommendation, I would definitely tell them to go to school at least for a year. I just think the whole college experience is is worth it. And and you'll still be able to show what you can do, whether you go to somebody's camp or whether you're invited to the NBA camp in Chicago. You can eventually show people what you can do if you can play. But that that one year of being in the classroom, that one year of being around your peers, that one year of, of working, but you only playing 20, 30 games and you, you're learning how to work out a little bit harder than you did in high school. I just don't think you can replace that. I would hate, I hate to see any kid miss it. If it's just for one year, I'd much rather see them all do at least two years, but one year is still too much to pass up for me to just to go to the G League. And, and, and I always said, too, from, a, from an NBA coaching perspective, not that people really care too much about what the coach has to say, but the coaching perspective is, hey, I'm trying to win a championship. I'm coaching to win games. I'm coaching to keep my job. But now you're asking me to teach a 19-year-old kid how to play the game of basketball. It's It becomes almost like a... a, a a situation to be set up for failure. Correct. Yeah. So that's the way. That's the way I've always, I've always heard it. Um. So Bill and I have been breaking down the NBA season so far uh, this year, and we both are pretty much in the Eastern Conference. I think the only we've only been wrong about two teams so far, and one has been the Boston Celtics. We we, we put a little bit more stock in them that they were going to be a little bit better than the way they've been performing so far, and. Uh, Bill, I think the Milwaukee Bucks, the, the defending champions, you know, yes, they've had a rash of injuries, but they really have not been up to the standard too. Derek, take a look at this Eastern Conference. What do you see right now? I I think Boston is still a sleeper. I think I think Boston in the end, I think they're really going to be strong, and I think they're going to surprise some people. Uh, and I and I feel the same about Milwaukee. I think these teams realize it's a long season. And either you come in all in early and just try to win as many games as you can and then still try to be fresh through the playoffs, or you come in and you play hard, you kind of coast a little bit, and then you crank it up towards the end. And I think, you know, you take a team like Boston that's been deep in the playoffs, a team like uh, Milwaukee that's been deep now and won it all, I think they're a little bit on cruise control right now. And I think they're going to turn it up towards the end. I just don't think Brooklyn can do it without Kyrie. I don't know what his situation is. I don't know if he's coming back. Uh, James Harden just doesn't seem to be, you know, the all-star player that he's always been, you know, one of the more dominant players. I don't see him as a top 10 player right now. So he may turn it around. I don't know. But I don't. it's hard to see them winning it all without Kyrie. Atlanta is still sort of sneaky. They have a lot of talent. They have a lot of shooters. I don't know if they're going to eventually make a trade because they have so many players, but uh, their team is probably going to still turn it up come playoff time as well. So those are the teams that I see right now that I think are going to be tough. And of course, uh, Ben Simmons, you know, how that plays out, that's going to be major for somebody. You mentioned something that's really interesting to me. There was a rules change um, as far as how you're going to get to the free throw line. Yeah. And James Harden and Kevin Durant were both incredible at taking advantage of the previous rule. Kevin Durant doesn't need that. He's probably the best player in the Eastern Conference. You change the rules, he's going to adjust. Harden, though, depended an awful lot on creating contact to get himself to the line 15 or 20 times a night. And now that he can't do that, it's my take from watching him. 
it, he's, he was never a cerebral player to begin with. He was a, an incredible scorer who was marginally aware that there was a defensive end of the floor, not overly aware, was never – I always like to say he was social distancing long before COVID. He just did it on the defensive end. But now, now that you cannot create that and get to the line, it's like he he's really – to me, he's really struggling to adjust to that rules change. Uh, I don't know if it's the rule change as much as it is that he's getting a little bit older. You know, he doesn't he doesn't appear and I could be wrong on this. He doesn't appear to take care of himself uh, the way he should. And, you know, and when you get older, I mean, one or two, three years in this league is it, it takes a toll on you. The thing that makes our players great right now is the guys that can shoot. Durant can shoot. Steph Curry can yeah, shoot. <laughs> LeBron worked on his game. I mean, he's a much better shooter. Uh, you, you think about our top players right now, they can shoot. Uh, I don't know if James Harding ever was a good shooter. He's a great scorer because he could draw fouls, and he still can draw fouls. I mean, he's still going to get 20, 30 points, but he can't get you 40, 50 points a night being a shooter. He can't do it. And if like even if you go back when they lost in the playoffs, I mean, what was he from three point line in the game they lost to, to Golden State? I think what, what he was 0 for 20 or something. Yeah. I mean, his great shooters just don't shoot like that. And he was open to make those shots. So I don't know if it's so much the way the rules have changed, because the guys that can score are still scoring. They're still scoring. So I just don't I think he he had a good run. He's he's never been a playoff player to me. He's never been a guy that you can see in the playoffs that just turn his game up to another level. And and I just don't. And that's why I think Durant is kind of by himself. He's got to, he's got to get Kyrie back. He's got to have somebody that can score and can and can shoot and and can take that game to another level when the playoffs come around. And it was funny too after talking about all those teams in the Eastern Conference. We didn't even mention the team that Bill and I figured to be the number one seed, and that's the Miami Heat. Um, and we know we were discussing yeah. we were we were discussing before about drafting and fulfilling needs. The Miami Heat was the only team during the offseason that had a little list of the things that they needed on the court, whether it was shooting, whether they needed help for their main star. And Miami went out and spent smart. They went out and spent their money on things they knew they needed, not the most talented guy available. I still think the Miami Heat, because of their experience going to the NBA Finals against the Lakers while they were in the bubble, and the the, I guess the resurgence, like I love the P.J. Tucker pickup because I feel that he's going to give them a little bit of an edge on the defense side of the ball, which Milwaukee will miss during the playoffs. I think that Tyler Hero is a, is a star on the rise. I think, uh, man, you can just go up and down the list of the moves that they made. Are great. It was Kyle Lowry. Uh, yeah, Kyle Lowry. You know they needed a they needed an upgrade from Goran Dragic, so and to give the Jimmy give Jimmy Butler some scoring help. I think the Miami Heat might be the overall best team in the Eastern Conference. Wow, uh, you know I really haven't seen Miami a lot this year. It's probably why I haven't really said too much about them. Um, on paper, they definitely look strong, and and they look like they're going to be a force in the playoffs. It's still hard for me to see them, even with the addition, see them beat Milwaukee. But you know, but we'll but we'll see. But they uh, definitely, they're definitely a top. You definitely got to put them in the top four when you talk about teams in the East, for sure. Milwaukee and Randy, you alluded to this is they've had two of their starters out. I mean, you've missed so many 
games early and, and Giannis has carried them. They're kind of a yep. 500 team, even with just Giannis. He alone yep. gets 500. And now yep. Chris is back, you know, as the, as they get healthy, we'll find out how much they miss P.J. Tucker. But I think that health factor is the one thing that's made it hard to gauge Milwaukee. Right. Uh, Derek, I have one more question about uh, the current NBA right now that I have a couple more questions from some, some of your favorite moments on the court. But should Laker fans uh, go into therapy at this point because they uh, should they start worrying about what's going on with their team? I don't think the Lakers should be a concern right now. It's just a matter they're older. Are these guys going to be healthy at the end? If they're healthy at the end, they're definitely going to be a team to reckon with if they're healthy. I just don't know that they can stay healthy. I don't I don't know if everybody – and then AD has always been injury prone. He's always had some sort of injury. So it's just – for the Lakers, it's going to come down to can they stay healthy. So it's, no reason, it's really no reason to panic or worry about them. They have good players, and they have a good enough team to do well in the playoffs. Can they make it to the playoffs healthy? That's the question. Can they be uh, in the playoff pick? I mean, you got to be in the playoff picture. And the way they're playing right now, of course, LeBron's been out. He's back, and then he's out for two more games with the suspension. But it's, uh, <clears throat> it's, a, it's a tough issue as far as continuity of yep. them leaving. And Westbrook, you've got three guys who don't necessarily play well without the ball because they haven't had to play, especially LeBron and, and Westbrook. And this was the issue in Houston. Westbrook and Harden, if they didn't have the ball in their hands, they didn't really play. They don't play well off the ball because they've never had to. So right. can West learn to do that? Because the ball's going to be if LeBron's in the game, it's still going to be in his hands, you know. So that's yeah, but it's it's not as complicated, I think, as we make it. If they go to April, say everybody's healthy in April, and let's say they have seven, eight games they play before they open the playoffs, that's plenty of time for them, and they'll have some off days in April. That's plenty of time for them to get ready to make a run in the playoffs and actually be able to play well together. It's difficult now because they have so many games. They got so many guys in and out. The lineup is changing every night. Dade's out. LeBron's out. You know, Westbrook's trying to do it all. So I think once they can settle down and maybe play six or seven games together, and that's the question: Will they ever be at a point where those guys can play six or seven or six, seven, eight straight games together? I, I just don't know. Yeah. So now I get to have a little bit of fun with you, especially okay. with being being an officiating. So, I, how does it feel to be one of the few people who can stand on a basketball and tell Shaquille O'Neal to shut up and have no ramifications from it? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it feels great to be able to tell a guy like Shaq to shut up. You know, um, one thing about the league now, you really you really got to be careful who you who you talk to, and and you better have a relationship with certain guys when you say certain things because. You know, everything is everything is is serious now. Everything is technical. Everything is taken uh, to mean something. So you really have to be careful now. But it was fun back in the day when you can talk to guys and say things and they understood you weren't going to call the league on them and they weren't going to call the league on you. Uh, it's, it's different now. Guys really don't know each other. They don't have a chance to communicate and talk like we used to talk. So it's it's, it's tough. You got to be careful what you say now. And, and also with, with that, too, you know, we talk about Shaq and we joke around about it. But, you know, 
before how he was a very big uh, supporter of Hakeem Olajuwon. And when Ewing and Robinson and those guys sort of faded, faded away, Shaq was sort of a, on an island of his own, being one of the few only true centers in the league. As an official, how were you able to sort of referee that and sort of being able to sort of control and shape that type of situation, which eventually turned into hack and shack, but, you know, but being able, able to, to sort of justify sure. being able to handle all that. Well, when I first started officiating and, and it's still a little bit this way today. And I, I give you an example. If Westbrook goes to the basket and John wall goes to the basket, Westbrook can absorb a little more contact than John wall. And so we always referee the advantage disadvantage. So Westbrook, the same amount of contact the wall got, the Westbrook got, it was gonna, it's gonna be viewed differently because of because of them, their size, and their strength. And unfortunately for Shaq, Shaq was was strong enough to absorb some contact that some other people probably didn't couldn't absorb, and he was still able to finish the play. And but what made it tough and frustrated him a lot of times is the fact that he couldn't shoot free throws. I mean, he got enough fouls. But when you're getting fouled like that and then you don't want to go to the free throw line and you're not you can't make your free throws. That's when it becomes frustrating. If you're getting fouled and you're going to the line and you're making all your free throws, you don't have a problem. But if you're getting fouled and you're going to the line and you're missing all your free throws, now you now you're really upset because you're costing your team points. And that's what Shaq, he eventually he became a better free throw shooter. But I, I don't think it was ever the fact. Yeah, Shaq got hit hard sometimes, but you had you had to foul Shaq hard if you were going to stop him from scoring because he was very athletic, a little bit of contact, and he was still going to put the ball in the basket. So you had to make sure you hit him pretty hard to get him to the free throw line. And people realized that he couldn't make free throws, so they really started fouling him, and, and that's when the frustration set in. Part is that, you know, one thing I'm, I'm not someone to blame the refs, and when and when an outcome of a game is decided by a call in the last five set, you know, we see it repeatedly in the league where this happens and the fans will say, well, Oh, the refs gave that whatever. Like, well, first of all, if you don't want your outcome to be decided by a call one way or the other, be up by a couple of baskets (laughs) where the call doesn't do it that forever. If you're the, you know, the Spurs in their prime and you're going to lose to the Sacramento Kings you can't blame that on the, I mean, and there's a call at the end and, oh, well, the Spurs would have beaten the Kings if, even though they're a much better team, well, you should have been up by 10. If you're up 10 and there's a call that's questionable, maybe uh, because we have the benefit of 15 replays and the refs have to call it right then. Well, don't be, uh, don't be in a one point game with the team you should beat. But there have been situations where, and, and, I live in Dallas, covered the Mavericks for years, and we saw the year that the Heat played the Mavs, and and Tim Donaghy made a point of saying we were proving a point to Mark Cuban. The outcome was pushed. That pressure on the refs to almost you're like answerable in the media or and to fans, and you can construct situations. There have been a few times where it's been admitted. But how hard is it to balance that, the relationships you mentioned, um, where you've got relationship with these guys and outcomes are a certain way, and people are looking at the refs as if the refs determined something based on a positive relationship. I think you had a run-in with Pat Riley, maybe a negative relationship. That It seems like that's always the subject of discussion in the NBA. 
Well, uh, first on the uh, the subject of, of missing a play, that's the last thing we want to do. I mean, you, I'm, I'm hurt the next morning when I get up, even if I feel like I didn't decide the game. I mean, it, it could have been a great game throughout. The other team could have been up by 10. The other team came back, and then all of a sudden I had a play at the end. I'm still disgusted. I mean, I want to get every single play right. And trust me, we're hurt when we – even if we miss that one play and that one play, of course, one play could never decide a game. But that one play was was important at that particular moment, and it affected the outcome of the game. So from a rest perspective, we don't want to be put in that position. We don't want to miss those plays. I want to get every single one of those plays right. But unfortunately, you're not going to get them all right. Uh, in the Cuban situation, yeah, there were guys that wouldn't listen to him. There were guys that went in a little bit of ticked off at the way he was always putting pressure on us, but not to the extent that you're going to go out there and affect the game because no matter what the coach was saying or the owner or the general manager, I still respected the players on the floor. The players on the floor had nothing to do with that chatter on the outside, so I was never going to do anything to affect them. I always worked as hard as I could no matter what type of relationship. Even when Pat Riley got upset with me about something that was really was a joke and the, and the sports reporter made it more than what it was, and then it hit ESPN, then it hit uh, Sports Illustrated. So it, it just blew all out of proportion. And so I understand him being upset about that because he was a little bit embarrassed. And I, so was I for even being in that situation. But it was never personal. I mean, I would always go to Miami and work and work extremely hard. And, and I worked there when uh, Dallas beat them in the finals. So and I worked there when Miami won. So it was it was it's never becomes personal for a guy that's a professional. You know, Timmy had some other stuff going on, which took him away from being the type of referee he should have been. And, and that's unfortunate, but it, it could happen to anybody. And that's what people need to understand. But with the spread, you know, Donnie can say whatever he wants to. But, hey, man, you could call me up and, and I could be working or I could be home watching games. With the spread involved, you cannot. It's, it's very, very difficult to pick winners. It's extremely difficult. And I'm as an official, I might can do something to help you win the game, but I still can't cover the spread. And I can't even guarantee a win. So I know that Donaghy, you know, of course he wants to say certain things, and, and, and I'm not mad at him for that. You know, Timmy needs to do whatever he's got to do to live his life right now. He put himself in a bad situation. But, no, we, we, we have no control, and in the end, we don't really care. I, I, I care if I make a mistake. That's about the only thing that I truly care about. And, and the guys that play the game, they understand that. They know when you come out every night and how you're working. The players know. You know, the coaches can see certain things from the sideline, but the players are out there with you. They know what you're putting in, the work you're putting in. They know when a guy fouled. They know when their teammate fouled. Like I tell them, I do some work with Minnesota right now, and I tell them, I say, man, look, don't let the guys see you on tape night in and night out, complaining about plays, and you are totally wrong. I said, that's how you lose all credibility. I said, we are actually watching games. I mean, we're watching film. We're watching you every night complain over and over again about plays where you obviously file somebody. I said, so why am I ever going to listen to you when I come in the building if I know every night you're complaining for no reason? So they're beginning to understand it. They're playing a little bit better. They're not filing as much as they used to. So you know, hopefully it will continue for them. Hopefully I can continue to help them. And, uh, but this is all part of the, part of the business. 
And you know, we talked about before about having a little bit of fun. I want to throw some some quick fire questions at you to see where, where you feel about some fun things. So we'll start like this: favorite city to referee in? Because of the weather, Arizona. Okay. Uh, favorite favorite food in a stadium? Oh, right now it's so bad. Pretzel. <laughs> <laughs> um, least favorite city to referee in? Oh, because of the weather, Chicago. Okay. Um, Plus the airline delays. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, one player that you were dreading to see on the court, knowing that you were going to have to work with on, on, a, uh, on that particular night. For a long time, it was Allen Iverson. <laughs> and fortunately, fortunately, we ended up uh, – having a conversation in public one time, I was able to see him out in public and surprise him. And from that point on, we kind of had a much better relationship, but he always thought I had it in for him. So it was always tough. When you saw him off the court, did you tell him that, uh, did you say, did you call a foul on him out, uh, when you guys weren't on the court? <laughs> and he was uh, like, even out here? <laughs> oh, it was funny. He was uh, shooting pool and uh, and I walked up behind him and I, and I put my hand around his neck when he was getting ready to shoot. And I said, say something now. <laughs> and he got quiet for a minute because he didn't know because he was on the road so he had no idea who this would have been so i let him go and i started laughing he turned around and saw me man he, he could not believe that i had put my hand around his neck like that so we sat down and talked for a minute and he understood where i was coming from and so he understood what i was my perspective and from that point on we were we were pretty good um Favorite NBA season, like the best best finals that you remember being involved with? Being involved or just uh, just watching? Just watching. Either or. Your, your choice. Uh, the one that I probably remember the most because it was kind of controversial going on in the end when MJ put that stop on and kind of had his hand out and, and, you know, he had been sick in that Utah series and he right. made that jumper. People thought maybe he pushed off, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. And uh, – that, that's been that's a series that I for some reason I've always remembered and Stockton and Malone of course was just trying to get one championship so that that's the one that really stands out in my mind above the rest. Everybody remembers that forearm. Yeah. I I personally remember the uh, because I think maybe because I was involved I was working with the Nets at that point, but that Nets San Antonio Spurs series that uh, some insiders say set the league back about thirty years (laughs) 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 because of because of the way because of the the way the uh, the games were played. Uh, I got to tell you, I think at that point in time, and this is just me being off the cuff because again I'm I'm a Jersey guy. But I think when the Nets made the finals two years in a row, it was like the league's worst nightmare because it was just because the arena was in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. They had, a, they had a good squad, though. You can't take that away from them. They had a nice team. No, it, you know what? A little joke about it now. We actually did a whole episode on the Spurs Nets NBA finals. I, I, that was, I think, Popovich's best. You know, I where his where his culture and his will on the NBA was was really at his strongest. That's six or seven year period, right around that time. Right, right. So well, when you so, get, when you get Duncan and Robinson back to back, I mean, it's you know you you at least you have a nice foundation to start with. <laughs> well, 
that see, Bill, there's a question. It's a fair question to Derek. Uh, Derek, did Greg Popovich treat you like Craig Sager at all when you came over to talk with him at all? Or is that one of those things where Greg, <laughs> Greg gave you a little bit more respect than, uh, than, than he did with Sager? Say that again. I didn't quite get the question. Okay. When, when you had to deal with Popovich, did, uh, did he didn't treat you like the way he treated Craig Sager all those years, did he? Or did he, did he give you a little bit more respect? <laughs> Man, Pop had it. Pop had a unique personality. I mean, he was, uh, you know, he, at some nights he would be funny. Some nights he'd be very serious. Some nights he would be, he was just different all the time. But the good thing about Pop, he didn't say a lot. He didn't carry it over. He would make his point and he moved on. But I'm going to tell you, I, I have a great deal of respect for him because he did something for me my first year in the league. Uh, I had a game in San Antonio and I called a play and he was just all over me, right? And so when I got a chance to talk to him, I looked him in the eyes and I said, I guarantee you I was right on that play. I know this is my first year in the league. And he looking at me like, who the hell is this? And so sure enough, Pop went to the went in the locker room after the game and pulled a play up, had somebody to pull the play up. And he looked at the play and he saw I was right. Now, we had a little more freedom back then than we obviously have now. But he came to the locker room, knocked on the door, and security opened the door and said, uh, Popovich is outside. And coaches had a lot of, you know, they, they kind of ran things back then. You know, they could kind of do whatever they want to do in their own arena. Of course, we've since changed that. That could probably never happen today. But uh, he came in the locker room and he said, hey, Derek, I just want to tell you, I looked at the tape and you were right. You got to play right. And then he shut the door and left. And I and, you know, that was just big for me, you know, being a first year guy, he didn't know me. Nobody knew me. And for him to take the time just to come in and tell me I was right. I mean, that that meant a lot. So I've always had a ton of respect for him. I think Popovich, I've covered many, many, many games, finals games, games in San Antonio. One time I even had them in Charlotte because I happened to be in Charlotte. And he was joking with me about, man, you drove all the way out here to see us here. <laughs> but uh Pop was always uh, when the when he was hard on somebody. Most of the time, not always. Sometimes he was in a mood, but most of the time was because he was being asked something stupid. Right. And those those inane. It's between the first and second quarter, and you're down ten. What do you need to do differently? Type questions. That's a classic example of something I personally would not want to be responsible for asking. Them. <laughs> Because the answer is so obvious. Yeah, he's a, he's a no he's a no nonsense kind of guy. If you know his background, you know military guy. You know, mm-hmm. we got to know him a little bit. He's a he's a connoisseur of wine, great wine guy. So he's he's got some different personalities, but he's he's pretty much serious all the time when it comes to basketball. So you 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 are smart in not asking him a question that he would consider to be not too bright. I I have covered the New York football giants for 10 or 11 years. And when Coughlin was there and he was at the press conference, there would always be this one like kid who wasn't there for three or four days. And he'd come back and ask a question. And you knew when the question left his mouth, all the other beat writers would hide underneath the podium. Cause he, right. cause right. you know, Coughlin let him go as well. If you would have been here yesterday, you would have known that we discussed it. Already. I was like, Oh boy. Right. I'm like kid, right. kid, good luck. 
Good luck working at Walmart. Your career in journalism is just right <laughs> over. <laughs> so, uh, Derek, I, I don't have any other questions. I can dig deep, but this is actually, you know, this has been a lot of fun just to sort of sit back and, sh you know, shoot the shit with you for a little bit. It was, I, yeah. I found it to be an absolute pleasure. Thank me you, too. guys. I, I enjoyed it. You ever want to do it again, just let me know. I think the officiating perspective is one that doesn't get told enough. Um, you. you always get the players, you always get the, of course, the fans now with social media, you can't even tune out the fans. But right. I think the, the officiating perspective is so interesting because it's a, this is the hardest. I mean, whether or not something's a foul is can be subjective so much of the time. I mean, our, our game is so fast. I mean, people just don't understand how fast these athletes are and how big they are in that little 94 by 50 space. And it's, it's extremely difficult to get these plays right. And they just don't understand. Yeah. So I appreciate taking the time. We get a lot of different people involved in the league in a lot of different ways. But the officiating perspective, I love it. I, I seriously appreciate you. Uh, and since it's almost Thanksgiving, I'm thankful for you coming on. We've enjoyed it. Thank yeah, you. It was, thank you. I enjoyed it. And thank you for not yelling at me when I brought up the age limit in the NBA. Nancy, Nancy, Nancy Lieberman like made me feel like I was this big. It was like, it was like the most, it was the most embarrassing thing. I'm like, Bill, do we have to air this? Like, can I, can I edit this out? Like, this is awful. Oh, wow. All right, so, guys. Thank you again. And uh, happy Thanksgiving to both of you. Appreciate absolutely. it. Thank you, Derek. Appreciate it, buddy. Bye. The, the great Derek Stafford here on the hardwood huddle bill. That was a lot of fun. I think we needed to have a go home episode into Thanksgiving uh, for, for everybody. You guys can follow the show backsportspage.com. Uh, bill is at the rocket guy or for this weekend, he'll be the Turkey guy. <laughs> and I'm every, no Turkey for me. <laughs> <laughs> so the Thanksgiving guy, and I'm of course at Randy BSP. Um, Bill, real quick, anything you want to sort of keep an eye on during the week during the week this week with the NBA? We should uh, keep an eye out before I, me personally. I think the Lakers. I, I heard a rumbling today, and and I I didn't want to bring this up with Derek because I didn't want to sort of feed into the rumor, but I'll bring it up to you now. There is a rumor going around that the Nets and Lakers are talking about Russell Westbrook for possibly Kyrie Irving. Well, I like that because Kyrie Irving, LeBron knows how to how to manage. <laughs> <laughs> maybe get the most out of Kyrie Irving, which is what you're always concerned about is can you get the most out of Kyrie Irving? Um, Los Angeles though, Hey, they're, they're COVID, you know, they're, they're huge. Uh, California has got just as strict rules about it. Um, and we're not past COVID-19 as much as the media has kind of moved on. It is resurging. Um, and it, you know, the booster shot is incredibly important. If Kyrie's not going to get that, that's going to be a problem for whatever team he's on. But if we could, if we could eliminate COVID from the equation and you had to, we had to pick a star that Kyrie would be able to be his best self with my guess would be LeBron because of their history, their championship history. Um, and we know that Westbrook uh, next to Harden doesn't work so well that you're almost sabotaging the, the competition at the same time. So <laughs> it might be a, and not only that, but putting Durant and Westbrook back together would certainly would be a very the two of them. I think if they'd have stayed in Oklahoma City, they'd have had a championship by now. That team was really good. The two of them. the The thing to me, the thing is the Harden Westbrook combination, and and Harden making it clear he didn't want to play with Russ. Now you're going to put him back on the same. I have a hard time seeing that, but 
from the Kyrie perspective, Kyrie with LeBron, I think. No brainer. No brainer. Good anywhere. It's going to be with LeBron. And he, and he compliments that, that pool of talent much better because he's a better outside shooter uh, and can play without the ball. So I like that. I'm not a, I'm not ready to say the Lakers aren't going to make the playoffs or anything like that, but they, they don't, it wasn't, we've been saying this since before the season started, since they got Westbrook. Really? Yeah. So Westbrook. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking, I'm looking at the way they, the Lakers were constructed. I told you from the get-go, this is not a team that's going to, this is not 2K, it will not work. And so far it has proven me right. I think the Nets have been lucky because, even without Kyrie, they guys like Lamarcus and Blake Griffin have figured out what their roles are, and they put a nice couple string of wins of it together. But I, Brooklyn hasn't blown down the doors right now either. I, I really nobody's really blown down the doors right now. The team I'm really wondering about in the West is Utah because they look great to start the season, and then they've sort of hit a rough patch, and they're not injured. They're deep. They're better. I mean, now Rudy Gay's back, and Rudy Gay, I thought, was a great addition to that team. I say he's back. He's there. He was hurt to start the season. But you've got the best defensive player in the league. You've got an incredible offensive talent who really stepped up in the playoffs. Mitchell just he's, – he's it. He's franchise guy. You've got depth. You've got size. You've got versatility. And you're struggling at times. And I just, is that a coaching thing? I I think what it is right now, too, is they're not used to being healthy. No, well, the, the, you're, not, you're not used to having Mike Conley and a healthy Mike Conley, not na- with not having nagging injuries. Um, I also think not having Derek Favors hurts them. Derek Favors was a key part of their success last year, being a, a, another banger in the in the middle, being able to rebound and hit that 12-foot jump shot. He's not there now. So I think that might be a little bit of a, a camaraderie issue as well. Um, the only other thing I got for you, Bill, right now is, like we talked about before, the Boston Celtics have not looked good. I think the Knicks fans are uh, have canceled their NBA Finals reservations. Yeah. <laughs> um, Oh man, Sacramento! Remember the first ten games. There's always Sacramento was so good. The first ten games, uh, Harrison Barnes was playing like an MVP. We joked about it. Harrison Barnes MVP candidate, but only for the first few games because after twenty games, they're not going to look that good. And now it's been twenty games, and they don't. They look like the Sacramento King. The man, one so- I think we should mention is the Dallas Mavericks because Kristaps Porzingis. Hey, all of a sudden you've got him putting up 30 on a night. Luca has 26, nine and nine. If Porzingis will participate, if the two of them can figure each other out as they maybe have, Luca was out with an ankle slash knee injury for a few games, but he came back and they were brilliant against the Clippers. If Porzingis will just show up and do something besides shoot threes. I mean, my God, if they could figure out how to screen and roll together, they'd be unstoppable. But we're seeing some early signs that maybe Luca and KP have gotten on the same page. And if they have Dallas as a team, we're going to have to be talking about. Yeah. They've, they've looked very, very well at Jason Kidd might've found, uh, might've found the, the, the secret sauce. I think that's what the, the key would be for them to uh, sort of get it together. I'm looking at the standings right now. The Nets number one in the East Miami two. 
The Chicago Bulls, number three. Hey, if I would have told you in go, heading into this time, Washington Wizards would be number four, I oh, think you would have called me a liar. But absolutely. But the, all those pieces they got from the Lakers are playing great. I mean, you're looking at that going, wow, they really, okay, all right. And Who's, it's November. Nasal looks good. They're, you know, it's yeah. working. Yeah, and it's and it's November. <laughs> uh, you know, we also have the Hornets and the Knicks, the Celtics, mm-hmm. the Bucks, the Sixers, the Cleveland Cavaliers are nine and nine. The Hawks are nine and nine. You know, the Sext- East. Probably the Cavaliers have won some big games. Uh, Sexton got injured. Once he's back, uh, hey, that's Cleveland. You finally got all those. High draft picks, and they're finally all a couple of years into their careers, and they're even Kevin Love's playing well off the bench. That's a team. Yep. Maybe you know, hey, maybe. And out, out west, the Warriors' revenge continues as they've sort of they, they've come out and Clay's even back. Imagine you add Clay into that lineup soon, like it's imminent. He's doing five on five contact drills for the first time. Clay Thompson's about to step back on the court for them, and they're already the best team in the league. And what we've talked about for the past couple of years um, with Curry out all those games and then Clay out now, oh, oh man, he missed so many games. Um, there were a lot of guys like Jordan Poole who got a lot of minutes in, t- in situations that mattered, and he got to make his mistakes in situations that mattered. And now he's good in those situations because he made those mistakes and learned from them. And now he's making the right plays in those situations. Uh, the Warriors are. <laughs> yeah, the, war- the Warriors. The other night they sat Draymond Green, Steph Curry, and somebody else, and they still blew out the Pistons. <laughs> like, and Wiggins, they sat Wiggins, I think. Like, they sat everybody, and you're like, man, and they still beat Detroit. Like, you know, you know what's amazing? You know what's absolutely amazing to me is that the Phoenix Suns have quietly won 13 in a row and no one's talking about it. <laughs> you, know, the- you know, they talked about internal development being the reason they were going to be better. Michael Bridges came back sharper, stronger, better, more consistent. And DeAndre Ayton wanting, his, uh, wanting to be a part. But also, you got a big man coming off the bench. You know, you look at some of the guys that have been journeymen around the league forever. And then all of a sudden they're in the right spot at the right time and they look great. And so Phoenix is benefiting from that, a little off-season tweak and and internal development. And Chris Paul is still Chris Paul. Chris Paul. <laughs> he hasn't he hasn't lost anything. And that's what you're that was one of the other things we talked about with Phoenix. Is Chris Paul still gonna be Chris Paul? And so far, young season, Chris Paul is every bit Chris Paul. Yeah. Don't count them out. Man, can you imagine a Warriors Suns Western Conference final? Talk about it. <laughs> My God, it would be the ultimate three point barrage. <laughs> that that kind of series will be one that makes Derek Stafford happy that he retired. Um, <laughs> <laughs> guys, thanks very much. We'll be back next Thursday on our usual time for the Hardwood Huddle. For Bill Ingram, I'm Randy Zelia. Happy Thanksgiving. We'll see you next time here on the Hardwood Huddle. Happy Thanksgiving. 